So before Harvest Festival, we were uh, looking into uh, David, uh, and we were seeing things in David's life that pointed directly towards the Messiah. Uh, and today we'll continue that with looking at David's Lord. Uh, David's Lord. This is actually uh, something that David wrote himself. And so he, he wrote this himself about the coming Messiah. Uh, this is Psalm 110. Psalm 110. This is a Psalm of David. So uh, now don't be mistaken. Uh, this Psalm is not about David. So David, uh, the only thing he has to do with this Psalm is he's the writer. And that's it. Uh, psalm 110 is perhaps the most important Psalm. Uh, it is the most referenced psalm in the new testament and it is unique among the messianic psalms in that it does not have a dual meaning uh, most of the messianic psalms apply both uh, to the messiah and to david uh, this one does not it's unique in that this is purely uh, about christ it speaks solely about jesus uh, charles spurgeon said this about psalm 110 he said, he who reads with understanding will see little enough of David here except as the writer. He is not the subject of it, even in the smallest degree, but Christ is all. How much was revealed to the patriarch David? How blind are some modern wise men, even amid uh, the present blaze of light, as compared with this poet of the darker dispensation. Uh, may the spirit who spoke by the man after God's own heart give us eyes to see the hidden mysteries of this marvelous psalm in which every word has an infinity of meaning. Let's go ahead and pray before we open up God's word. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Uh, I thank you for uh, this wonderful church and uh, I pray, Lord, that as we uh, open up your word this morning, that you would uh, prepare our hearts and minds to understand and absorb uh, what you are teaching to us this morning. Um, I pray now that uh, as we move forward this morning, that you just uh, put us uh, in a mode of, of worship and um, to better understand your word, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So Psalm 110, I'm going to go ahead and read this psalm, and then we'll break it down. Uh, like, I, like I said earlier, or like Charles Spurgeon said earlier, uh, this psalm has an infinity of meaning. Now, we're not going to try to understand every little part of this psalm this morning, because honestly, uh, it could take you know multiple sermons to understand that. Uh, so uh, we're just going to understand a few things about this this morning so psalm 110 uh it's only seven verses so you know we're go we are going through the whole psalm today uh is a psalm of david uh verse one starts with this it says the lord said to my lord sit at my right hand till i make your enemies your footstool the lord shall send the rod of your strength out of zion rule in the midst of your enemies your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power, in the beauties of holiness. From the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. 
You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. So as Spurgeon said, this psalm has an infinity of meaning. This morning, we will break down this passage uh, using three titles uh, that are belonging to Christ. Uh, these are described here. Uh, these, these titles are the Lord, the High Priest, and the Judge. So first this morning, when we look at this passage, we can see that Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our Lord. Now this is an important part of this passage. This is one of, one of the parts of this passage that's quoted the most. Uh, now this psalm is quoted over 27 times in the New Testament. And here is why. People at that time did not want to believe that Jesus was the Lord. And so this psalm proves that here. It proves the divinity of Christ. And so right in verse 1, immediately it says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So the Lord said to my Lord. Now I want you to look in your Bibles right now and notice that the first Lord there is in all caps. And the second Lord is a capital letter at the beginning, and then the rest of the word is lowercase. This is not a typo. This is on purpose. The Lord said to my Lord. David is listening to a conversation between the Father and the Son. This first word for Lord is Yahweh, and the second word is Adonai. So that what it, this says here is, Yahweh said to my Adonai. Yahweh is the word that uh, is the name that is given to God. It means the self-existent one. This name specifically and only applies to God. This is the I am of the Bible. And so whenever we see Lord in all caps, this is specifically Yahweh. This is the I am. This is the almighty God. And then it said, to my Lord. This is this word Adonai. This is actually a title here. And so this isn't a name, this is a title of Lord. This title here is speaking about a human Lord, a physical being. This title here is speaking about the Messiah. Of this, there is no doubt, because Christ himself said so. Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 to 45 says this, so the Pharisees came to Jesus and they were doubting this. Uh, and they were talking, they asked him, uh, who do you think, you know, they were talking about who Christ was. And Jesus quizzed them on this. And that's what these passages talk about here. It says, while the Pharisees 
were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How then does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? So we know that this is talking about the Messiah here. This is about Jesus. This is about the son. And what's interesting about this is Jesus even says, David in the spirit called him Lord. And so we actually see the entire trinity here uh, in this psalm because David in the spirit is saying the Lord Yahweh spoke spoke to my Lord Adonai and so David with the Holy Spirit is listening to a conversation between the father and the son this passage also confirms that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the father Literally, God says to him, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. This is later confirmed in Hebrews 1.3. It says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. You see, this psalm actually begins at Jesus' ascension. And so this is after the resurrection. And this psalm ends with his ultimate victory over the world. The next verse here, Psalm 110 verse 2 says, The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. We see that he is the king. There is no doubt about that either. You see, the rod of his strength. This is a scepter here. This is a kingly symbol. This is the symbol of his power. This is also believed to be the gospel here. That which is talked about. So the gospel is what his power is. And it goes out of Zion. So it's to the whole world. Jesus must rule all, even those that don't wish to be ruled by Jesus. Jesus is Lord of all. The next verse, Psalm 110, verse 3, talks about his people. Who are Jesus' people? It's very clear here. Verse 3 says, Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power, in the beauties of holiness. From the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. So this is the king's army here. Notice this first statement. Your people shall be volunteers. So Jesus' people are volunteers. 
This is very important because there's a lot of people today that don't understand that. Jesus' people are volunteers. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes in him. The responsibility is on us to believe. Acts 7.51, some people believe that uh, the Holy Spirit is irresistible. Well, Acts 7.51 contradicts that statement. It says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. So this is God's people that are being spoken to here, the Israelites, and they're resisting the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit can be resisted. So the responsibility is on us to believe, the onus there. So whenever we read this, these passages, just because God knows who is going to be saved does not mean that he forces salvation upon us. That way, if you go to hell, it's your fault. It's not God's fault. Then it says, that his people are in the beauties of holiness. In the beauties of holiness. This is speaking about the priestly garments. The beauties of holiness are what his people are wearing. You see, when Jesus comes back and we are his followers, we're not going to be dressed up as soldiers. We're going to be dressed up as priests. We're going to be dressed up in white robes following him it's a beautiful picture there the beauties of holiness then it talks about his people are like from the womb of the morning or like dew this also speaks to beauty because dew glistens in the morning light but it also speaks to the multitude his people are many. There will be many people who volunteer to follow Christ because of the spreading of the gospel. Then we see in this passage that Jesus is the high priest. This is the next title in this passage. And what's, it's funny because this is just one verse out of this passage. But as you see, you'll see, this is the most profound part of this passage. Psalm 110, verse 4, it says, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So let's look at the first part of that verse. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. Remember, when we see all caps, this is Yahweh here. This is the I am. So this is Yahweh making an oath here. This should show how serious these verses are, how serious this psalm is. This is God making an oath, making a promise. 
This is important. Then it says he will not relent or repent. That's the, the same thing. It means that God will not change. It is set in stone. Malachi 3.6 says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. He says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. So it was set in stone for all of time that Jesus would be a high priest. This was always the plan. Then it says, You are a priest forever. You are, current, present tense, a priest forever. So at the time that this was written, Jesus was already a high priest. And this speaks to him being a priest eternally. So Jesus is the high priest. He has always been the high priest. And he forever will be the high priest. Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then it says, and this is probably one of the most difficult parts, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now we've talked about this a couple times, but who was Melchizedek? It's kind of, he's kind of a mysterious figure. Uh, he, is only, uh, he only appears once in the Bible, but he's talked about many times. In Genesis chapter 14, this is his only appearance. There's no mention of him before this, and then afterwards he's just gone. Genesis 14, 18 through 20 says, Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God most high possessor of heaven and earth and he blessed and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand and he gave him a tithe of all so this is his only appearance in the bible but just from this appearance we can learn some very important things about him first of all his name melchizedek it means king of righteousness we also see that he was king of Salem. This is what eventually would be Jerusalem. Salem means peace. So if we look at this first part of this, these verses here, it says, Then the king of righteousness, the king of peace, brought out bread and wine. The king of righteousness, the king of peace. We also see that he was a priest of God most high. And he also blessed Abraham. So he had the, the power to give blessing. And Abraham gave him a tithe of all. The writer of Hebrews actually gives us further information about Melchizedek. Hebrews 7, 1 through 3 says, For this Melchizedek, 
king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. He was without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. And so this Melchizedek, he was a king priest. And his priesthood remains continually. This is an internal royal priesthood. So Jesus being according to the order of Melchizedek here means that Jesus is an eternal royal priest. Remember we talked about a few weeks ago, we talked about Saul. And Saul was king, right? And he performed a sacrifice, but that was a bad thing that he performed a sacrifice. That was not his office. He was supposed to wait for Samuel to come and perform that sacrifice. Saul wasn't supposed to do it. You see, no one was supposed to occupy that position of king-priest. It is reserved for Christ. And at the very least, this Melchizedek of the Old Testament is a type of Christ. But I believe that this Melchizedek is Christ appearing in the Old Testament. The reason for that is in the book of Hebrews, uh, Jesus is referred to being better than everyone, but he's never referred to being better than Melchizedek. He's referred to being equals with Melchizedek. And so if Jesus is equals with someone, I believe he is that person. So this, what this means is, is that Jesus is the only one who is qualified to both rule as a king and perform the sacrifice needed for salvation. Jesus is the only one that could do it. He was the only one that was allowed to do it. And then in the last part of this passage, we see that Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the judge. This is probably the heaviest part of this passage let's go ahead and read verses five through seven again it says the lord is at your right hand he shall execute kings in the day of his wrath he shall judge among the nations he shall fill the places with dead bodies he shall execute the heads of many countries he shall drink of the brook by the wayside Therefore, he shall lift up the head. Do these verses make you feel uncomfortable? They should. They should. These verses speak about Christ's return. Christ's second coming will be a very different time than the first coming. The first time Christ came, he came with the purpose of being the sacrifice for our sins, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That was Christ's first coming. Let me tell you, he's not coming to die again. Amen. When Christ comes back, 
It is not to come and die again. It is to come as the conqueror. He is coming to take what is his. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16, it says, now I, saw when he- I, now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. I'm going to stop right there just for a moment. He was clothed in a robe dipped with blood. Now, we talked about what our garments will be like. White, right? His is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. He was the sacrifice already. That way we can be clean. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, when Christ comes back, this will not be a pleasant time for those that are lost. There is a time to be saved, and that time is now. This may sound like a solemn and scary time, but if you are saved, this is a time to rejoice. Lift up your heads. This last part of that verse in Psalms, it says, He shall drink of the brook by the wayside, therefore he shall lift up the head. This speaks about Christ's head being lifted up after that conquest is done. And if he is lifted up, we are also lifted up. Luke 21, verse 28 says, Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Those of us that are saved, we can rejoice because this is our Lord's ultimate victory over the world. We should be looking at this and lifting up our heads because this is a joyous Time. In conclusion, as the pianist and song leader come, if you're not saved this morning, be a volunteer. The time is now to do that. There will be a time that is coming that you will no longer be able to. When Jesus comes back as the conqueror, that time is past. He is taking what is his. Look to him now. He is your redeemer. You see, we can't look at it like Jesus is coming back to punish the lost. He's punishing those who have rejected him. Don't be one of those. Be a volunteer in his army. It's a beautiful picture there. 
And it's made more beautiful by the contrast of what is going to happen. We need to follow Christ today. All you have to do is believe in him and repent. And that's it. Call him, call on him as your Lord. He is, it is proven in the Bible that he is Lord. Call on him this morning and repent of your sins. That's all you have to do. Just do those two things. Believe and repent. Do that this morning.